We're going to read from our text this morning, from the 11th chapter of John. To set this in perspective, this, this story unfolds about a week before Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. If you're able, will you stand as we read together? Verses 17 through 37. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus wept, but I could not. I remember well those weeks and months following my father's death. The tears were brief and held back, and even though I wasn't consciously trying to hold them back, I did. Doyle would check in on me occasionally to see how I was doing. Perhaps he suspected that I hadn't grieved, that I hadn't wept. And since I easily weep at movies and books and babies and animals, it surprised me. I told Doyle I I wasn't consciously trying to hold back, but for some reason the tears were not there. I was focused on my mom. How was she going to get on without the love of her life with whom she had just spent the last 60 years, just, and he just died four days after their 60th anniversary. She was just past cancer treatments, pale, 
and frail and childlike. And although she did much better than any of us imagined, focusing on all the details and things that needed to be done, still she was ready to go. Life here on this earth no longer held the meaning for her and the joy that it had. And just 80 days after his death, we buried her too. But even then, I was so accustomed to keeping that grief at bay that I still shed very few tears. Where were they? Had I had those last few years of ministry, had I become so practiced at handling my grief as I sat with people who were dying or, or who were in horrible pain, that I closed off that grief as a way of self-preservation? About a month after my mother died, I was sitting at the table one morning and I was writing out a check. I'd mentioned to a few friends just a day or two before that my, my dad's birthday was coming up. I didn't feel sad. In fact, we all chuckled at a couple of the stories that he enjoyed telling and the way he, he laughed and, and we laughed. But as I sat there writing out that check, I put the date in. And suddenly, the tears just welled up inside me. I began to weep. Deep, sobbing gulfs of grief overcame me. Grief that I had been suppressing all these weeks and months. And then the phone rang. It was my husband, Keith. And it was obvious that I was crying. And when he heard my voice, he said, Oh, honey, what's, what's wrong? I said, well, I'm okay, but I was just writing a check, and when I wrote the date in, the tears just started flowing, and I can't seem to stop them. And he said to me, you're finally finding your tears. Frederick Beekner, no longer with us in this world, but a writer and theologian that I love, uh, says that it would be, probably help us all if we kept track of all those times and events in our lives that bring tears to our eyes. They may be happy or sad. It may be at unexpected times and places. But whenever we're stirred to such depths, these are times that God is at work in our lives. These are the emotional hot spots which sometimes break through our veneer of hardness in which we tend to entomb ourselves. They're like windows through which the light of God's love can get in. And when we are quick to slam shut those windows, maybe we're cutting ourselves off from God. Beekner also suggests that those who cannot weep perhaps cannot laugh much either. It's as if those two emotions were tied together in our, the human psyche, and when you turn one off, you may be turning the other one off, too. Jesus began to weep, our text tells us. And of course, looking at that story, it's a familiar one. Jesus had these three precious friends, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he frequently had stayed in their home and enjoyed their hospitality. And not long before his ministry on earth was abruptly cut off, Mary and Martha frantically sent word to him that Lazarus was very sick. And by the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. 
Traditionally, the Jewish bury their dead within 24 hours. But there was a tradition that said that the soul hovered over the body for about four days. And after that time, there was no hope for resurrection. It's no wonder that Mary and Martha were disappointed that Jesus took so long to get there. In fact, they both greeted Jesus with almost exactly the same words. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Was it an accusation? Or was it a profession of the depth of their faith? Or perhaps a little of both? And when Jesus saw these women weeping and all their other friends who had gathered were weeping too, verse 33 says that he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. One translation translates that as he became angry. What was going on in his mind at that moment? Come and see, Mary said. Come and see. Those are the very words that Jesus had used when calling some of his disciples, come and see. And what those disciples were going to see and experience was going to change their lives completely and forever. And now he hears those familiar words again, come and see, as he's led to Lazarus' tomb. And immediately Jesus began to weep. Not just cry, but weep, racking, sobbing grief. Now, over the centuries, biblical scholars and theologians have pondered the exact reason for his weeping. Were they just for his tears, for his beloved friend, and seeing how how broken they were? Was he weeping in frustration because so many were still so clueless at the message he was trying to teach and to live out? Or could he have been weeping because with those familiar words, come and see, Mary evoked the realization that this moment of time, the bringing forth of Lazarus, before such a crowd as this, a death and a resurrection, would ultimately lead to the inevitable week that lay ahead of him, a week that would climax in his brutal death on the cross. Was his heart heavy and his grief fueled by the realization that his time was running out? Sometimes things are just beyond our comprehension. When we hear that Jesus was totally, completely God, and Jesus was totally and completely human, we, we can't quite get our finite minds around that, can we? It's not the kind of math that we learn, but it's God's math. And in our efforts to understand who Jesus is and was, it's easy to tumble into one of two ditches. We either think of his humanity like he's kind of like a big brother, our pal who looks at our mistakes and kind of winks and nods and, you know, goes along with it, you know, we're okay. Or we see him as so holy and above us that we can't imagine he could ever have the same emotions and the doubts and the fears and the anguish that we experience. But in Luke chapter 22:11 we read that Jesus was in anguish praying earnestly in the garden and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. His human self was tormented at the thought of what lay ahead for him. 
So maybe it was all of these emotions and thoughts that were prompting him to express his grief in the most human of reactions, tears. The work of Jesus is to bring life. And the work of the congregation is to unbind people from the trappings of death. Lazarus was bound up in death's bindings, and Jesus shouted for him to come out, to be free from all that binds you and holds you prisoner. There is life and resurrection to be experienced. And Jesus calls to us, come and see. Be freed up to live and bring the life-giving good news to the rest of the world. We're no longer bound by faithless used-to-be's, but now we're free to be agents of change in a broken and hurting world that often makes us weep. Every day we're bombarded by images of people in pain, of people who are suffering. If we pay attention to the news and social media, we hear conflicting reports of what really happened and who is to blame, and there's name-calling and hatred and hostility spewing out of people's mouths. What are we to make of all that? How do we keep from becoming so angry ourselves that that poison seeps down into our own bodies? How do we keep from becoming numb by the endless ranting and the escaping and shove those unwanted emotions down? Tough times. Jesus wept as he observed our brokenness. Do we weep too? as we see people hurting all around us? Do we weep as we pray for change, as we pray for justice? If you do, I'd like to throw out a challenge for you. I'd like to challenge you to make those tears count for something. I challenge you to slow down and live in the moment, to pay attention to yourself and to your surroundings. Look around you. What do you see? Who do you see? You see those folks who don't have a place to call home? They carry everything they belong in a backpack? Do we engage some of those same people on Wednesday nights here at our own church at supper? Do we listen to their stories? Can we change the lenses through which we view the world and these people? Do we see someone who could be one of our children or our grandchildren? Can we see a child of God who want with wants and needs just like us? Jesus was a rabble rouser. Jesus continually challenged the status quo of the religious community to get outside of their comfort zones. It's one of the reasons he was hated to the point of plotting his murder. Spending time with prostitutes and tax collectors was just not acceptable. That must have grieved his soul. The people who seemed to love God the most were often those who just didn't get it. They could only see broken rules. They were blind to broken people. When we allow our lives to be intertwined with folks who are different from us, life gets really messy. It isn't always easy to have the wisdom to know how to respond to all the issues that come up. It isn't always comfortable, and sometimes you may even weep. But isn't that what Jesus calls us to do? He modeled it every day of his earthly life. 
And if Beekner's suggestion that perhaps our tears and our laughter are intertwined, then this message would not be complete without some encouragement to find joy in your life, too. John Pavlovich is a pastor, an author, and a blogger. He recently talked about the day his father died and he was out in the store buying bananas. And he found himself wondering why in the world he was out shopping for bananas when his father had just died. Well, they needed bananas for breakfast the next day. And he saw people going about their business oblivious to the fact that his father had just died. For days, he said he navigated his life through uh, doing things that needed to be done. And all the while, he was pushing back the tears. And he was fighting to just stay upright and mostly seconds away from having a total blubbering freakout. And he said he wanted to wear a sign that said, I just lost my dad. Please go easy. And then he noted that everyone around you in the pews next to you, the person on your left, the person on your right, the person behind you in the coffee shop line, the person beside you in traffic, they're all grieving something. They're missing someone. They're worried about someone. They're worried they're going to have a panic attack or they're scared that people will see what's really going on in their life and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed. And then, five years later, they're getting bananas and they're still pushing back the tears because the loss feels as real as it did that first day. They're wounded, exhausted, and pain-ravaged, stumbling all around us. We just haven't noticed. Perhaps we haven't noticed when we said, hey, how are you doing? And they said, fine, how are you? And we didn't see that there, were, that there were a little tear in their eye or that there was a catch in their voice. So it's up to you and me to be a little kinder, to pay a little closer attention, to not be afraid to look them in the eye and say, can I help? We may even need to take a moment and weep with them. So now the takeaways that I'd like for you to have today, the first one is to be present in the moment, wherever you are. Pay attention to yourself and to your surroundings. What is there to see? What is there to learn? Who needs a smile and a kind word today? Who has been invisible that I really need to see? Number two, find a regular time to get outside of your comfort zone, your own safe neighborhood, and your friends. Read a book that makes you weep. Number three, find a regular time to pursue joy without guilt. Leisure time that feeds your soul and doesn't have to cost a penny. Time with friends and family who lift you up and make you laugh. Enjoy a walk in the beautiful outdoors that God created for your pleasure. And here's a good one. Carve out 24 hours without criticizing anyone or yourself. Just be thankful that our lavishly generous God loves you, warts and all, and bask in that love and show it to others. And then number five, 
Give yourself permission to weep and to laugh. Give yourself permission to feel. Don't wallow in your pain or escape in your joy, but own up to your feelings and give them to God. Acknowledging our heartache and pain with our tears can be scary. Sometimes we feel like if I just, if I start, if I let myself have a few tears, I may not be able to stop. And some of you are sitting here today having been experiencing a dead, dull time, barely able to feel your emotions, numbed to the pain. You've wanted healing and you want real joy to rise up inside you, but it seems inexpressible. So let's listen to those silent cries. One says, I just watched as they led my 19-year-old grandson to prison. Please go easy. Another says, my wonderful spouse of 60 years couldn't remember the names of our grandchildren last night, and it scares me. Please go easy. I just had three miscarriages, and I'm scared I'm never going to be able to have a baby. Please go easy. My 11-year-old gets bullied every single day at school. He doesn't even want to live anymore, and I'm terrified. Please go easy. I'm 63 and was just told they no longer need me at my job anymore. I was counting on that retirement package, and nobody wants to hire me. Please go easy. My husband that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with just told me that he's found someone else. Please go easy. And that spot that I thought was nothing has just been diagnosed as stage four cancer. Please go easy. I felt forced to get a small payday loan to fix my car so I could drive to work and back, but now I owe them over $3,000. I can never get them paid back. Please go easy. I first heard Rob Gorley sing a beautiful song with the most haunting words several years ago. And I've asked him to come and sing that now as we reflect on this song and these words. And we'll close our message with this beautiful song, My Eyes Are Dry. And remember that Jesus wept and we can weep. In fact, we must weep. My eyes are dry My faith is old My heart is hard My prayers are cold And I know how I ought to be A lie to you And dead to me Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. My eyes are dry. 
my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up. With oil and wine, the oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Team, thank you, Jeannie, for God's message for us. Thank you, Rob, for helping us round out that message and. Jeannie, for your honesty and for your vulnerability, for speaking what we all feel. And uh, as we say often around here, uh, the response to a message or a worship service, not always known uh, before we leave the building that morning. Many times the Spirit sort of uh, works in our hearts. The, The seed has to sort of take root and do some work in us. If there's a conversation you need to have about grief or about Uh, your journey of following Jesus as we go through these Sundays in the Lenten season. Be sure and contact us or find a prayer partner. Don't hold it in as Jeannie instructed and encouraged. Uh, Be sure and give yourself permission to be human and to cry. It's been great to be worshiping together this morning. Thank you so much.